As you look at Acts chapter 5, we'll begin reading in just a moment in verse 33. The apostles, let me sum up if you would, verse uh, chapter 5. The apostles have been captured and imprisoned. And then they had been set free by an angel to go preach in the temple all the words of this life. And so they did. And then they were arrested again. And now we see them standing before the Sanhedrin council. Uh, We have been learning about the first century church and the first century believers in the book of Acts. And furthermore, we are learning some important truths concerning those who oppose the gospel. Are we aware that here in the 21st century, nothing has changed? People still oppose the gospel. It is not something that pertains to the 21st century. It is something that emerged from the 1st century, an immediate opposition to the gospel. Now, I am concerned about something, though, as we see here, it is clear It is clear that the world has not changed. Now, I'm not talking about, obviously, technology and the way people live. I'm talking about people's response to the gospel message. In that sense, the world has not changed since then. Specifically concerning the world's rejection of the gospel. However, it is evident that something terrible has happened to the church or to churches. And furthermore, something terrible has happened to Christians. In Acts chapter 5, we begin reading in verse 33. I remember in verse 28, they said, Didn't we not teach you, command you not to teach and preach in this name, the name of Jesus? And Peter boldly said in verse 29, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now they were bold in their proclamation from verse 29 to verse 32. And now we come to verse 33, and the Bible says, When they heard that, That's the Sanhedrin council. They were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. They kind of dismissed them. He wanted to say something to the council without Peter and the apostles being there. And he said unto them, verse 35, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, now it sounds like they didn't really agree, (laughs) they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now here's the 
perplexing statement in verse 41. And they, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house, they, the apostles, ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. If you remember here, as we look at the context, I uh, look at Gamaliel here, this man who was a Pharisee, who was part of the council, and obviously a man that others in the council looked up to, and he said those words in verse 39, If it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. And... At first, we look at Gamaliel and we may think that, uh, wow, the Gamaliel seems to be commending or saying something truthful, but if we look at the comparison that Gamaliel uses, as a matter of fact, we find yet that his view of Christ and of the apostles were was a very small view because of the comparison that he made with Judas of Galilee and Theodos, And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want to think about those words here. If it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. And I want to preach a little while this morning on why you cannot overthrow Christianity. Why you cannot overthrow Christianity. If you remember in this chapter, Peter had said, we ought to obey God rather than men, in verse 29. And then the response of those uh, men in the council in verse 33 is they were cut to the heart and they took counsel to slay them. They wanted to kill them. And then Gamaliel in the council, he talks about them and he gives the comparison about uh, these apostles and the work of Jesus Christ and the followers of Jesus Christ. And he goes and looks at other examples in the world. And it's true, as we look in the world, there are many examples of people who have um, commanded men after themselves. There are many examples of that. And as a matter of fact, as you come here to the first century, this is not anything new as we see it explained by Gamaliel. This idea that there's another movement going on is always happening in the world. As a matter of fact, it's still happening today. There are always people who are calling men after themselves. But in the text we just read, I would like to take a look at uh, three parties, if you would, or three distinct groups of people. The first one, from verse 33 down to verse 40, is I want us to take a look at the antagonism of the council. The antagonism of the council And yet this will be one more evidence as to why unbelief is always irrational. And secondly, I want us to look at the attitude of the Christians. And I want us to think about our attitudes today. And thirdly, I want us to consider the activity of the church. So first of all, as we look at our text, I want us to consider the antagonism of this council. The first thing we read about this council, and I want to think about their response as they're responding to Peter, as they're responding to the apostles and uh, to these men who they had already declared in chapter 4 
that they were unlearned and ignorant, and so that is to say they should not be threatened by them, but they obviously were. And as we consider the response, I want you to notice three things about their response. First of all, we notice that their response was irrational. In verse 33, the Bible says, When they heard that, what Peter had said, they were cut to the heart, and they took counsel to slay them. Now, that means very simply, and we've already observed in the first four chapters of the book of Acts, that the council, the Jewish authorities, they wanted to find a way that they could rid themselves of these apostles, much like uh, the Jewish authorities try to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were always conspiring. They were always taking counsel together to see how they could rid themselves of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, we find several attempts when they try to grab a hold of Jesus Christ, and we know that in those several attempts, Jesus Christ was able to get away until the time that it was appointed for Him to be taken in the hands of sinners. But in that case, they were not chasing after Him. The Lord Jesus Christ came right to them. He was not running away. Nobody took the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid it down Himself. He was not a martyr. He was the sacrifice for our sins. But in this antagonism, the Jewish authorities here, part of this council, they are very familiar with Jewish law. And I want you to think about the irrationality of their response. They, are, they have a, a, such a hatred for these men. They have such a hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ that they are actually uh, contending how they can basically go against the own law that they're promoting and to kill these men without justification. These men indeed were do, not doing anything wrong. All that they were doing was teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. We saw in chapter 3, chapter 4, that they were doing miracles and crowds were being attracted to them. But again, the emphasis is not on the miracle. The emphasis is on them. They were teaching and preaching Jesus. It is interesting that these, uh, these men in the council did not have any problem with the miracle. They never said, stop those miracles. But they said... Stop speaking in His name, the name of Jesus Christ. It's interesting because every time, they don't even mention the name of Jesus. They don't, Stop preaching in His name. And then the Apostle Peter, we know, there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It was Ludicrous for them to ask, stop, uh, stop for them to stop speaking in his name. And in this antagonism, we see that the response is irrational. And I say to you today that the world is always irrational in their response to the gospel message. It is dismissed. It is uh, mocked. And in areas around the world, there are still believers who are facing intense persecution for simply preaching and being a testimony to the name of Jesus Christ. But after all, unbelief is always irrational. 
As a matter of fact, the case in the 21st century is that we have advanced. We know more now than ever before. And this whole idea of Christianity and some Jesus Christ dying for your sin, that's good for the first century. The people back then, they were not educated. They didn't know a whole lot. Uh, and they didn't know how to read. And, uh, and so they, these people back then, they were ignorant. Uh, and it's okay then if they believe. But today we're in the 21st century. And uh, really, uh, this idea of believing in Jesus Christ is irrational. And I say to you that unbelief is not new to the 21st century. As a matter of fact, they claim some novelty, but I say they're as old as the gospel. It's not anything new at all. Unbelief has uh, has always stood against the gospel, and it has always been irrational. So we see the response was irrational. Number two, we see the response was inconsistent. Now, I want you to think here because right in verse 34, we come in focus with a man by the name of Gamaliel. And the Bible says he was part of this council, the Sanhedrin council. He was a Pharisee and his name was Gamaliel. He was a doctor of the law. He had a great reputation and he commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So Gamaliel is going to say something, not in the presence of the apostles. He dismisses them. And now Gamaliel is going to, to speak to all the, all the men who are in the council, the Sadducees, the high priests, the Pharisees, those who were part of the council. And notice what he says, verse 35. Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. He's going to give two examples. We're going to see the example here of Theodos, and then we also are going to see the example of Judas of Galilee. The first one in verse 36, For before these days rose up Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. Now I want to focus here a little while on Theodos. As we think about, we know really apart from this, we don't know anything as far as in the Bible concerning this man, man about who he was and what he did. But if you study the history, for example, of Josephus, Josephus, the historian during the time of Christ and the apostles, one of the most prominent historians of those days, He speaks of this man. And uh, whether it was the same man, we don't know exactly, but according to Josephus, there was a man whose name was Theodos, who had claimed to be a prophet of the Lord. And he had also drawn a significant crowd of people to come after him. He had told a crowd that if they followed him to the river Jordan and took their goods along with them, that he would give the word and the waters would divide so that they could walk through on dry ground. Sounds familiar, right? However, the Roman governor at that time sent out some troops and killed many of them, took others captive, and brought the head of Theodos to Jerusalem. Now that's one account that Josephus documents about uh, Theodos that we find here in the Bible, which seems to fit because here this man, he was somebody boasting himself to be somebody, had a number to come after him, 400 joined themselves to him, and then he was slain, which matches uh, the story and the account of Josephus. And then he moves on to a second example in verse 37, that is the example of Judas of Galilee. 
And he says here, after this man arose up, Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing, and drew much people, uh, much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So, kind of the same scenario. Judas of Galilee, by the way, is also mentioned by Josephus. Uh, he says, the record in Josephus' account is, there was a man of Galilee by name Judas, who led his countrymen into rebellion, declaring it an evil, should, should they suffer tribute to be paid to the Romans and introduce mortal rulers uh, after God. Basically, uh, and it is appropriate here in verse 37, that Judas of Galilee is mentioned to arise during the days of the taxing. Well, that makes sense. This Judas basically, according to Josephus, basically said we shouldn't be paying taxes to, uh, to Rome, and he led a rebellion, or we could say an insurrection. Josephus, uh, another Jewish writer, uh, mentions Judas of Galilee and says, there were uh, the cause of the Jews rebelling against the Romans, for they said it was not fit that any should rule over man but God alone and that no one should be called Lord but the blessed God. And so under Judas of Galilee, what the history tells us is that he was basically led a insurrection, a rebellion against the taxing of the Roman Empire. And as a result, the Bible says that he also perished, even as many as obeyed him, and they were dispersed. Now, as we think about those examples, I want to think about three things that uh, Theodos and Judas have in common, as Gamaliel mentions them. First of all, these men drew people after them. That's what, that's what Gamaliel said. They had a following. They drew people after them. The second thing these men had in common is that they both demanded obedience. That's what it says. Notice with me verse 36. The Bible says, as many as obeyed him. Again, in verse 37, concerning Judas, as many as obeyed him. So these men drew people after them, and they also demanded obedience to them. But there's a third thing they have in common, is that their followers eventually were dispersed. So that's the trend of Theodos and Judas. They commanded people after them, they demanded obedience, and their followers ended up being dispersed. And what is the case for both of these men is that they both led a rebellion against some type of authority. Uh, in that case, it was the Roman authority. And so do you see here what, what Gamaliel is doing with Jesus Christ? Do you see what he's doing with Christianity? He's trying to say, now we have uh, Peter and the apostles here, and what he is basically saying is they're like all these other groups before. This is just another movement. This is just another leader. This is uh, another group of people where they're calling people after themselves. They're, uh, uh, they're demanding obedience, and eventually, just trust me, they're probably going to be dispersed like all the other groups before. And that's what Gamaliel thought of the apostles and the first, the first century church. And I would say to you that that is again reveals for us what the problem is with the world. It is that the world thinks very little of Jesus Christ and that the world looks at Christianity as some other trend. That's just going to come, it's going to go. 
very little consideration as to who Jesus Christ is. Isn't it interesting here that basically they're attributing uh, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to be just a man like Theodos or just a man like Judas of Galilee. And they think that that's just another movement. Uh, this is just a, another man, another prophet who claims to be uh, from the Lord. Another man who goes down and who commands people after him and asks people to obey him. It's the same thing again and again. And I say to you that it is completely different. Why? We've already looked at the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already studied His life. We've looked at the Lord Jesus Christ. We know who He is. He is God in the flesh. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later in verse 14, the Bible says, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus Christ is not just another prophet. He's not just another man commanding people after Him. He is the Son of God. He is God, robed in flesh. And He is the one who came, as He repeated throughout His ministry, not to be ministered unto, but He came to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus Christ is completely different than every single leader that's ever arisen in the history of humanity. Ever. There is nobody like Him. No one. And I say to us that that is exactly the inconsistency of the world. They do not understand Jesus Christ. They do not understand who He is. And furthermore, they do not understand what He came to do. The great trouble that we see today, however, is that churches, and by the way, as we go uh, doing street evangelism every week, and whether it's door knocking or uh, inviting people who are new move-ins in the area, uh, it seems that there is this idea within many of those religions that, well, you know, we're, we're all kind of doing the same thing, and you know, uh, you believe in Jesus, and I believe in Mohammed, and I believe in Mary, and, and there's all these people, they're, they're kind of following some figure, and they kind of equate, well, for you it's Jesus Christ, but for me it's somebody else. And I say, there is nobody else. Jesus exclusively said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other prophet, leader in the history of humanity that offers or provides forgiveness of sin. So the antagonism of the council, we see the response was irrational. Their response was inconsistent. They do not understand Jesus Christ. And the world today still does not understand Jesus Christ. And that's why he must be preached. But also we see that their response was Injurious. We can continue reading in verse 38. Now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. And in a sense, he's right. Movements come and go. You remember the French philosopher Voltaire who said, uh, uh, In my lifetime, the Bible will be just fit to be put into museum. And he announced the death of God, the death of the Bible. The Bible will just be some relic that people will look in the museum. What was interesting is that later, his house was purchased for the printing of Bibles. 
He came and went. But God in His Word remained in Christianity continued to abound. He says, if this word counsel uh, word be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. What a statement. From a man who just compared Jesus Christ to all other men before him who kind of led a rebellion. And by the way, that's how people like to portray Christianity today. Ah, oh, they're just some rebels out there. This last year. Just for us wanting to be in church. People say, look at those rebels trying to get in church and worship their God. They're just rebels. They're irrational. And yet they fail to recognize that they are the irrational ones. You see, if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Christianity has, mo- has been the most persecuted group of people in the history of humanity. And yet they're still around. He says, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily be found even to fight against God. Now, I believe that statement is quite accurate. And we think about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, when he told Peter, he says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He says, well, some people say that John the Baptist, Elias, and one of the prophets. But he says, who say ye that I am? And Peter a great time. He said something great. Uh, many times it was not that great. But he says, Thou art the Son of the living God. Remember what Jesus says? Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the announcement from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, throughout the uh, time of the church age, let me tell you again, the world will never overthrow Christianity. They may say you can't meet. Guess what? Christians are still going to meet. Somewhere, some way, they will still meet. You see, here we find that you're fighting against God. If this be of God, you'll be found to fight against God. And that's exactly what Paul realized. You remember what Paul? He was persecuting the church. And then he realized that he was fighting against God. And then he became the apostle to the Gentiles. What a wonderful story that is. He who was the antagonist became the apostle. And the Bible says, notice, to him they agreed. Now, I, I would think at that, at that moment they agree that means that, oh, well, we'll just let them go because, you know, if, if this is true, if Jesus is just like everybody else and they're following a man like all the other movements before, uh, they're just going to fold eventually. And the Bible says, and to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them. You see, we may think that what Gamaliel said was kind of in support of them. It was not. They did not just let them go. They did not ignore what they were doing. They beat them, and they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. 
So there it is again, the irrationality of unbelief. That's the antagonism of the council. And there is still an antagonism to the Word of God. There is still an antagonism to the, towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it interesting today that you can pray if you go into the halls of Congress and you can still pray in whoever name you want, but not in the name of Jesus. If you go to the chaplaincy, depending on the certain chaplaincies, sometimes, well, you can't pray in Jesus' name. You've got to be broad. But you can pray in anybody else's name but the name of Jesus? That's right. That seems peculiar, does it not? You see, Jesus has always been the trouble. And so we see the antagonism of the council. But then secondly, we see the attitude of the Christians. Uh, so what I'm showing you is that the world has not changed at all. But something has changed. I think what's changed in big part is the attitude of the Christians. Verse 41 says, And they departed, uh, now let me just put some context, after being beaten from the presence of the council, and this next word is perplexing, Rejoicing. You know what that means? That word means it means to be full of cheer. <laughs> Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now that sounds like what the Lord Jesus Christ said to them in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember in the Beatitudes? At the end of the first Beatitudes, he says in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And then he says, Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, full of cheer. That's exactly what they did. For great is your reward in heaven, So for so persecuted the prophets which were before you. So notice here what Jesus said, uh, blessed, uh, blessed are they that are persecuted. Rejoice. And that's exactly what we see happening in the first century church. They were persecuted and they rejoiced. They were full of cheer. That is amazing. That is astounding to me. I want you to notice several things here. Now, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't want us to misunderstand here. Jesus Christ, there's two types of persecutions that are acceptable. Number one is persecution because of righteousness. And number two, persecution because of Christ. That's the only two types of persecution that are acceptable in the, in the Word of God. You know, sometimes some Christians, they look for persecution in places they should not. You're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness, for obeying God, for doing what is right, for living righteously. When you're, that's the right type of persecution, or when you're preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. When you're speaking the name of Jesus Christ and people are trying to stop you, those are the two types of persecution that are acceptable according to the Word of God. So I want us to look at the, uh, at the apostles, and the first thing we notice about their attitude is, first of all, their cheer. Again, the word rejoicing means to be full of cheer. Now, I am certain here that we have people that have certain teams that they cheer for. Ernie, right? The Philly. Yeah, you come in sometimes. I mean, you had the Crockpot with the Philly Eagles logo on it. 
So you must be a fan. You've watched their games, right? You cheer for the team? Do you scream and yell when they're not doing the right thing? Okay, proof of concept, all right? Now, when they won the Super Bowl, you were... I, I, maybe we should like have a video clip of what happened when they won the game. Were you pretty excited? Yes. You were full of cheer. I mean, it was uh, it was kind of a Cinderella story. It was the backup quarterback, right? Uh, because uh, you know the uh, the the main quarterback. I can't remember all their names, but the main quarterback got injured. He was the one that was really talented, and then Nick Foles. Uh, comes in and he kind of saved, wins the Super Bowl against Tom Brady, right? The legend. It was like, wow, you know, everybody was going crazy and, and people were full of cheer. Now, that description there, because of that win, it's because, uh, well, 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 we won. If you lose, you don't have that full of cheer. Uh, we think of fullness of cheer and rejoicing when something positive happens, not when something negative happens. Now, I would describe them being beaten as something negative, not positive. Would you? I, I, I don't think that that would be something that I would just, you know, jump up and down and say, yeah, I'm, I'm being persecuted. But my friend, that is first century Christianity. And there's a whole lot of things that we can be full of cheer about. And I wonder how many times that we've been in a predicament where someone has, uh, if you would, uh, maligned us or reviled us because of righteousness or because of associated with Jesus Christ, and then we rejoiced about it. That's what the Bible says these believers did. Their cheer, we not only see their cheer, but we also see, secondly, their consideration. Now, what provoked that cheer? The Bible says... Um, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. The expression counted worthy means to deem entirely deserving. Uh, Are you saying, Pastor, that they thought that they deserved to be beaten? No, that's not what I'm saying. In other words, what they're saying is they were counted worthy to suffer shame. We'll add this in just a moment for his name. But you, you see what they're happy about? They are happy because when they're thinking about it is this. You know, nobody likes trouble in life. Nobody does. Whether it's financial woes, um, your car breaking down, whatever it is, though, a lot of things are unpleasant in life. And it doesn't cause us to be full of cheer. But this particular instance, whatever happened to them, they thought that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You see, they saw it as a privilege to be associated with Jesus Christ. In other words, their shame, they were shamed by the authorities, by the council, because of Jesus Christ. And so they saw that as a privilege. And that's why they were rejoicing. Because of who they were suffering for and with. And I say, I think that we've lost that in the 21st century. We've lost this idea that we are, uh, have we counted ourselves worthy to suffer shame for His name? We see their cheer, we see their consideration. The word shame, by the way, means to be rendered infamous. 
It's just people couldn't stand. It means to be dishonored, disrespected, held in contempt. You ever been around people who held you in contempt? Couldn't stand being around you because you were a Christian? Rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. But I want you to notice third, and I want to see we see their cheer, their consideration, but thirdly, we see their cause. They didn't just suffer for anything. They suffered shame for his name. His name. What were they doing? They were preaching Jesus Christ. Let's go back. Let's look at the last three chapters. Go back to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Notice with me. Uh, they're about to, and this is when this all started. Uh, they're, they're about to go to the temple and, and, uh, and, uh, and pray. And they come to the beautiful gate. And there was that lame man that was there in verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And here it is. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Here's the problem. What they said. That's what it started all. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, why, why was that the problem? Go down to verse 15. As um, Peter is preaching, obviously he is distressed because people are coming after them, they're wanting to see more miracles. And what does Peter do? He doesn't give them more miracles. He preaches Jesus. Verse, um, notice 15. And uh, kill the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead. Wherefore, we are witnesses, and his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath, uh, hath given uh, him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And so people come and say, uh, how did you do that? And he says, in his name. What did he say? In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Uh, and you remember Peter said, uh, why do you look so earnestly upon us as though we had done this by our own power? It's in the name of Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, they're told to stop preaching in this name. And notice what uh, the Bible says, Acts 4.12. Uh, Peter says, well, go back to verse 11. He says, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. So he's talking here again to the Sanhedrin council. And notice here what uh, he says, that back in verse 8 of chapter 4, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You remember what they had said in verse 7? When they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what, not, what name have ye done this? And do you see what Peter's response is in verse 12? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. Now go down to verse 17. The council says, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. You see what the problem is? The name of Jesus Christ. That's the problem. Verse 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 28. They capture Peter the apostles again. What do they say? Did not we straightly command you not to teach in this name? That is the problem. The name of Jesus Christ. 
And so when you read in verse 41 of chapter 5, they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I remember my uh, dad, growing up, he said this a lot. He's working now in a dealership in Virginia uh, selling cars. But throughout my life, I've heard him when people out and about and someone would take God's name in vain, say, oh my, and they say, God. Or someone, uh, sometimes some people exclaim and they uh, say, Jesus, in a tone that's kind of exclamation. Number of times my dad being grieved and saying something like this, do you know him? Do you know him? I know him and that offends me. Tony, you just shared with me, he was at the dealership and uh, many of the salesmen there on the, the dealership uh, uh, take God's name in vain regularly, but now he's developed a reputation where uh, now they see my dad coming around and say, oh, no, uh, you know, or they'll say, sorry, sorry. There's something about his name. Isn't it interesting that people don't like curse Allah and Buddha and all those names, but yet they have no problem cursing the name of Jesus? You see, there's something that comes along. There's a, a shame that, it is, that is associated with the name of Jesus Christ And they were counted worthy. Why? Because that was their cause. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is one God and one mediator, one mediator, no other mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. There is no other way that we can be reconciled to God. There is no other prophet or name that can reconcile a sinner back to a holy God. There is no other name apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him is salvation. And I say to us that we should not be ashamed of that name. But we should proclaim it far and wide and tell the world because it is in His name that salvation is found. And so are we rejoicing? Are we rejoicing in His name? You know, this last year, and we, you all know this when I wrote the letter to the governor. And in my letter to the governor of the state of Delaware, I mentioned in there and asked the question, why were the liquor stores open? And why did he shut down the churches? Why would alcohol that has destroyed countless homes be able to be open and flow free while people who name the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior cannot gather and praise His name. Strange, isn't it? Strange. Now people say, ah, that's just, you know, The world has not changed. Still the same. But what has changed is, I believe, the Christian's attitude towards the Lord. Well, let's just kind of get along. Fly under the radar. Don't want to mention His name. If I'm asked to pray in the workplace, I'm probably not going to mention the name of Jesus Christ. It might offend someone. 
Well, you're right, it might offend someone. Let me uh, tell you, you should offend someone if you're speaking his name. But there's a third thing we see. Not only do we see the antagonism of the council, the attitude of the Christians, but thirdly, the activity of the church. So we want to know, okay, we're First Day Baptist Church here in Wilmington, Delaware. What should we be doing? What is the, the thrust of the ministry? Uh, what, what does the first century church look like? We are in the 21st century, but we don't have to reinvent the wheel. God has given us the blueprint for what to do. And he says, the Bible says, and daily, verse 42, in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach. Wait, who? The point I'm making is they couldn't stop talking about him. That's the activity of the first century church. Unmistakable. Remember what he said in the previous chapter? He hath filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Good. And I say to us, have we filled this area with his doctrine? And I say that if we have not, then we have failed in the activity of the church. I believe this passage help, uh, helps us to understand the world, and so we should. But I believe this passage helps us to readjust our attitude in association with the Lord Jesus Christ, but also it gives us a priority as a church. There's a lot of fluffy things we could do, right? To get a crowd really easily, we change a few things. I'm not announcing any changes, by the way. But if our emphasis is that daily we cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ, I think that is a very good agenda for the 21st century church.